now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast, the post-Christmas edition. I am Alex Shane, who very happy to announce that Santa Claus did not have time to check his list twice when he came to the Shane household. Rich Hill, how was your holiday? Uh, I am in beautiful Florida right now, spending some great time with my, my family, and I'm really excited that I don't have to deal with anything cold. So that's the best Christmas present I could ever ask for, Alec. I'm just happy that, you know... The food's good. The food is good, and that means that life is good. No, it's true. Holidays are all about eating a lot, drinking a lot, seeing the folks, seeing the friends, seeing the family. And over the past couple seasons, it seems like watching the Patriots win a game in the AFC East. This is now the second year in a row there's been a Patriots game on Christmas Eve. Second year in a row they've won to not only secure a better playoff position, but courtesy of one Jimmy Garoppolo, a former Patriot. He delivered a Festivus miracle, beat the Jaguars. So courtesy of the week that was in the NFL, the worst the Patriots can do right now is the two seed, which guarantees them that first round bye, which is huge. Yeah, that game was very, very surprising with the 49ers and the Jaguars. I mean, the Jaguars were breathing down the Patriots' neck in the AFC. They would have had all the tiebreakers due to conference record. And so the fact that the Patriots don't have to worry about them right now, that is just, just mwah, that is beautiful to see. And the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo was able to dice them up. I mean, 44 points against the Jaguars, a team that ranked number one in the league in points allowed. I mean, they were, they're a very good team. They backed that up with their performance. So it's not just a statistical miracle. They're very, very good. And the 49ers put up 44 points on them. You have to think that that's a great blueprint for any team to follow that's going to face the Jaguars. And the fact that Garoppolo was able to accomplish it means that Tom Brady definitely has the skill set capable of doing it. And so it takes a, a little bit of that worry that was on my mind saying, oh, I don't know, can the, can the Jaguars be the perfect team? You know, they have a great defense. They can control the clock. Is this team that can break up the Patriots? And just seeing Garoppolo drop 44 while throwing to the likes of fullback Kyle Juszczyk and rookie tight end George Kittle. I mean, that just means that the Patriots are going to have a field day. Here's hoping. Yeah, we did talk about how the Jaguars were kind of custom-built to beat the Patriots. a very solid defensive front and a good secondary that can get pressure without blitzing or being too confusing. But as you said, they're locked in three seed right now. So if the Patriots take care of business this week against the Jets, there's no way the Jacksonville Jaguars will travel to the Patriots anytime soon. They'll have to go through the Steelers or somebody else first which is good news for us all around. But before we get to that, we're talking playoffs right now. We're talking the NFL Week 16. Any game in particular that happened this week, Rich, you want to talk about? Not a whole lot of exciting games, not a whole lot of crazy upsets, not a lot of shenanigans, but I will say this, NFL Week 16 really did a nice job of further solidifying that playoff picture. Yeah, there, there is a lot just already decided. The, the Patriots and Steelers are the top two seeds. The Jaguars are the three seed. The Chiefs are the four seed. And they've really whittled down the number of teams that are really playing for the wild card spots. And right now, the Ravens and the Titans are two teams that if they win, they're in. And they have pretty favorable schedules. So the Ravens are playing the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Bengals just look really terrible. I believe that Marvin Lewis is going to be done after this year. So this is a, a game that the Ravens should win. And then the Titans, they're at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which typically you 
would be a game that could be up in the air. But with the Jaguars locked into the three seed by virtue of losing to the 49ers, they don't have anything to play for. And so I think the smart move would be to treat that like a bye week and rest all of the starters, rest all of their important players. They have nothing to gain by playing in this in this season finale. Hope everyone that can can just rest up and be ready for the wild card round. And so if that is the case, the Titans could have a cakewalk game in order to win if they get to play the Jaguars backups. And that's just me theorizing right then. But that just leaves teams like the, the Chargers and the Bills that are on the outside just they're just going to stay out there, which kind of makes me happy because I don't want the Patriots to play the Chargers because of those teams in the wild card weekend. I think that the Chargers are the one that could give the Patriots the most trouble. Interesting. So of all the teams gonna, that the Patriots could potentially face in the divisional round, it's the Chargers, not the Ravens, that worry you the most. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think that the Chiefs also could give the Patriots some trouble too because I believe they are built just with their game control offense with Alex Smith. He's very comfortable taking those really easy drop passes, you know, get five, six yards at a time. They have a good run game. They can pick up four yards on first down. Those are the types of teams that can give the Patriots trouble. I don't trust Joe Flacco and the Ravens offense. I really don't. And I know that there's that whole playoff Joe Flacco thing, but I, I'd rather be concerned with what we've actually witnessed over the past five years and playoff Joe Flacco was forever ago. And so that just means that, you got the Chiefs. I think that they're a team that will be playing a wild card weekend that deserves some concern, especially because they dominated the Patriots in the season opener. But with the Chargers, I mean, they got Phillip Rivers, Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen. They have a very well-rounded offense that can run, that can throw. They can have the big plays. They have a smart enough quarterback that can chip the ball down the field. But more importantly, they got Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa and Casey Hayward in the secondary. But just looking at their defensive front, they can pressure Brady all day and they can do that better than any other team that's looking at the playoffs right now and so if the Chargers are eliminated that definitely gives a, a little bit of a reprieve for the Patriots offensive line interesting well the Chargers definitely need some help they have to win over the Raiders in their last game and they also need the Ravens to beat the Bengals and the Titans to lose to Jacksonville that would vault them into the sixth seed uh, they could also get a, in with a win and the Bills and Titans both lose so it's a very complicated convoluted scenario for a couple of teams in the playoff race the Bills still alive for the first time and I don't even remember how long they had the longest shot to make the playoffs I think they have to beat Miami next week and then the Ravens lose or uh, losses with the Titans and the Chargers. So a lot can happen over those last couple of games and the last wild card spots up for grabs. However, the Patriots positioning is set. They are locked in at at least the two seed, like I just said, getting that crucial first round bye for the eighth straight year, which is unreal to think about. A team getting a first round bye for eight consecutive seasons just goes to show how dominant the Patriots have been as of late. However, Rich, I have to admit, the game against the Bills, they didn't look great for the first two and a half quarters or so they didn't look great against the Steelers they didn't look they looked terrible against the Miami Dolphins are you at all concerned with the fact that the Patriots are not playing their best football in December as they usually do around this time of year well I, I want to slow the roll a little bit with how the Patriots played against the Bills because sure that pick six was hideous that was just awful by Tom Brady and that should be the the bigger concern is why is Tom Brady throwing these interceptions now all of a sudden but the fact that the Patriots, you know, they, they had their goose egg against the, the Miami Dolphins. That's not something you like to see. But as you always talked about, they have that one game every year where they just fall on their face. It doesn't matter when it takes place. They could be in the, you know, as it was right here, week 15 against a team that has no business beating the Patriots. But, 
you know, or I guess that was week 14, but the Patriots are in position to be a contender, or it could be week three. Who knows? It, it, it changes throughout the years, but there's always that one game where you're just, what happened? I'm just so confused. So I'm not worried. I don't think that's indicative of what the team really is. Uh, more so, the Pittsburgh Steelers game, that was a, you know, they beat the team at home. You know, they beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh against the team that is also jockeying for home field advantage in the AFC. So that is a good team that the Patriots were able to beat. And sometimes those come down to the wire. That's just how it is. And so overall, I mean, the Patriots have been great <laughs> over the course of the whole year. I, I, I'd rather see how the team has been doing since, let's just even say the bye week versus just how they've been doing over the past couple of weeks because they've had players in and out of the lineup. Kyle Van Noy is not available. They don't have Alan Branch. They lost Rex Burkhead. Uh, Chris Hogan has been battling an injury. He hasn't been available. So they're just trying to figure out who are the pieces they have available and stitching it together to play well enough to win. And against the Bills outside, I mean, they had that pick six, sure. They started three and out. They let a scoring drive every other time, and that's just very, very impressive to do, even if it is against the Bills. No, it is. And again, I think it's it's a it's a common problem, if for lack of a better term, if you are the Patriots or a Patriots fan, they're under such a microscope that everything they do, they can't just win games if you're the Patriots. Right? You can't just win a game. That's not good enough. They have to win in a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way under certain circumstances. Otherwise, it's some kind of sky is falling situation. You go on the news. You see the people talking about how the Patriots were stupid for trading Jimmy Garoppolo. They should have cut Tom Brady, blah, blah, blah. It's just the way the Patriots operate. And it's kind of a sign of the times them being as good as they are. Important to keep in mind that pick six was the only touchdown scored by the Bills the entire game. So this the entire year. Enti- yeah, an entire year. So basically in the two in two games, they had one touchdown. It was a defensive one at that. A really, really bad pick. Really good defensive play. I don't want to say it was all Tom Brady being bad, but it was just a good read and just a, a bad throw, a bad decision. But the Bills have not been able to do anything against the Patriots offensively. So while it may be frustrating to watch them give up plays between the 20s, they always stiffen up in the red zone. However, I guess I should – this is a good time as any to talk about the fact that – I don't know about you, Rich, but I saw absolutely nothing – incontrovertible about the Kelvin Benjamin touchdown that wasn't that leads me to believe they had enough evidence to overturn it am I missing something there Uh, this is just the year that the NFL officiating office has said you know what we love the Patriots right now that this is what's going on it's a league-wide conspiracy the NFL just says, you know, we got to make up for Deflategate. Every possible caller is going to go in the Patriots' favor. <laughs> you know, it's just how it's going to work. And it, no, I mean, I, when I was watching that, I thought that was a touchdown. I also thought that last week's, or I guess two weeks ago, Jesse James' score at the end of the game probably was a touchdown too, just because the whole going to the ground, I don't know, it looked like his knee was on the ground, so I don't know what, what counts. And so by the letter of the law, Maybe they're following it. I, I think this is all the the same problem: is that the law that they're following, the rule book, is dumb. But there's no better way to word it, and so they're just upholding what they have. But when it comes to uh, the the evidence necessary to overturn it, I buy what they say. I, I think all of the players on the field that are you know the Patriots players, they were saying it after the game. If you don't see the pebbles kicking up after or when their toe is on the ground, they're not touching it. You know, that's what happened every time if a foot is on the ground, you see those little black pebbles flying around, and that didn't happen. And so that was enough for them to overturn it, and I buy that completely. Yeah, see, personally, I don't. I think that the call on the field should carry more weight. 
I'm okay. Honestly, I would much rather have the occasional call they got wrong, but there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it in the replay. I feel like if you have to look at a play for three, four minutes, it's just not worth it. Human error is part of the game. If it were to come out after the fact that it was a touchdown or wasn't a touchdown, I think the call on the field should have stood regardless. That was an incomplete pass at the time. Call an incomplete pass. I don't, just don't see how they could possibly return that. But again, I guess that's just the way the NFL is going. They're sort of the slaves to the replay. The on-the-field call and the officiating on the field isn't as valuable as it once was. And I think personally, my personal opinion, the effort to get it exactly right, they're taking away kind of the reality of the game. And while the Patriots have benefited from it in the past two weeks, I don't think it's good for the sport as a whole. Yeah, I agree with that completely, and I, I definitely agree with what a lot of the former officiants or, or the formal officials were saying after the game is that you're, you're married too much to the review system, you're, you're not letting the plays on the sands or plays on the field stand, and you're just looking for things to overturn it. And maybe a solution, I don't know, I want to hear your thoughts on this, because everyone says that there isn't a, a great way to fix it. But what about putting a play clock for the officials? As you said, if you're there looking for four minutes, you're going to find something. What if the, the officials only get, you know, 30 seconds in the booth, 60 seconds in the booth to, to make the call? Unless it's like, you know, within the final two minutes, then you can have more time because those are whatever, pivotal. But otherwise, just like the, the challenges that take place for review. But if it's if it's a play that's not after the two-minute warning, the official should have 30 or 60 seconds to look at it, no more. And if there isn't anything that they see in that amount of time to overturn it, they have to let it stand. I like that a lot. I think it's a really good idea. Again, I think any time when there isn't clear, incontrovertible evidence, they should just let the call in the field stand, even if it's the wrong call. Like I think the Jesse James call by the letter of the law was a good call. That was the rule as it was written. I think it's a stupid rule, but I, I, I agree they got that one right. I just don't think they got this one right. I think that it could have gone either way. Maybe it was a catch. Maybe it wasn't. I have no idea. They called it on the field to catch. It should have been a catch. If they called it incomplete, it should have stayed incomplete. But I will say this. That is not the reason the Bills lost that game. That is no way the reason the Bills lost that game. They had plenty of time. It would have been 17-10. to 10. It was 13-10, to 10, I believe, or 13-13. I don't remember exactly what the score was at halftime. That is not the reason the Bills lost. The Bills lost because they couldn't get in the end zone. And once Tom Brady got going in the second half, they couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop Gronkowski. And they couldn't stop Deion Lewis who has come on out of nowhere to become one of the best backs in the NFL, not only as a receiving back, but he is a between-the-tackles, yards-after-the-carry, carry-guys-with-you-across-the-first-down-marker kind of guy, and I, for one, did not see that coming. Yeah, I actually really like the comparable that a bunch of the Steelers players were giving Deion Lewis before the game uh, two weeks ago is that they're comparing to Ray Lewis, or sorry, Ray Rice on the field. And that's so true. I mean, he is a tough guy between the tackles, as you said. He's been averaging 5.2 yards per carry. That's incredible. I believe that's second in the league behind rookie Alvin Kamara, and he's just been doing it in such a dominant fashion. He's breaking tackles. He's busting out big runs. He's grinding it out inside. He's springing free to the outside. He's catching passes now, which we knew that he could do from the start of 2015. We knew that was part of his skill set, but they've been hiding it because they didn't want to expose him to extra hits, and they wanted to use James White. But with James White sidelined, he had a bigger opportunity, and he's really turning it up. You know, he, as you said, he's been outstanding. He's at 977 yards for scrimmage this year. He has seven touchdowns. He's only been playing like 30% 
of the offensive snaps. If he was a full-time feature back, I think that he could be up there with the Le'Veon Bills and the Todd Gurley's on a, a weekly basis. But that, again, is also Dion Lewis hasn't been able to stay healthy, so being a part of this rotation is pretty valuable for him. But just his emergence in recent weeks has really compensated for you know missing Julian Edelman in the offense, for the lack of Brandon Cooks on a regular basis, for you know a great supplement to Rob Gronkowski, they they really bounce off of each other and provide a lot of value, and so having Dion Lewis and Rob Gronkowski and Brandon Cooks means that the Patriots have three guys that they can really trust to take over a game, and that's what you need to have in order to win in the postseason. Is that you need to have your superstars have superstar games, and Dion Lewis is doing that every single week now. He is, and he's healthy. He had 129 yards rushing on 24 attempts, which is amazing. He had 24 yards on five catches, which is great. He's just an absolute wonderful threat to have. Really glad to see him back there. We'll stick with the running game for a second, though, Rich. Uh, we both talked about it in our pregame show about how Mike Gillisley could finally get opportunities to show he's worth a roster spot with Rex Burkett out, with James White out. He only had 28 yards on six carries, but I personally don't think that that stat line does him justice. I feel like he had a pretty solid game given the carries he was given. He caught his first pass, which is a nice one on a nice little screen. Do you think Mike Gillisley is in any part or any way part of the Patriots game plan going forward? Who's kind of flashing the pan for this one game? No, he definitely should be. If I'm the Patriots coaching staff, I'm not going to put Rex Burkhead back on the field next week. I'm going to give him that full, you know, three, four weeks to recover before he has to start playing in the postseason and let Gillespie get his, his reps in there. Let him get those targets, which is something that I've been harping on this entire season, that Gillespie can catch the ball out of the backfield. Maybe he's not as talented as a wide receiver like Burkhead or Lewis or, or James White, but he is capable of doing it. And the biggest problem that the Patriots had with Gillisley over the first, you know, 15 weeks of the season is that opposing teams knew that they could stack the box against him because if he's on the field, he's running it. He's not a threat to go out and catch it. So therefore, all the linebackers can go towards the line of scrimmage. They can jam it and there will be no place for him to run. And if they can start integrating some of these pass plays with Gillisley over these final two weeks, that means that he's going to be so much more valuable when he's on the te- on the field if other teams have to respect the fact that he might be out there as a receiver. Because otherwise... They have no need to to stay at that second level. They can just go charge and and just disrupt all of the gaps, and therefore Gillisley is not going to be as productive or as valuable as he could be, as he could be getting some targets. So I I love what they did with Gillisley. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a little bit of a bigger role against the Jets if the Patriots get the get the score in their favor to kind of preserve Deion Lewis, but. Gilsley could get a, a good second half performance in, in week 17. That'd be great. Gilsley is one of nine Patriots to catch a pass from Tom Brady on sun, uh, Saturday's game, which is fan- oh, Sunday's game, excuse me, which was fantastic. The way he's spreading the ball around is really good. Again, he hasn't been great with his decision-making. He's got a weird interception streak, his first one of five straight games of the pick since 2002. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but it seems to come early. I'm going to kind of discount the Miami game because you said it. That's just one of those games. Nothing makes any sense. You really can't take anything away from that game. They just they just stunk. But he's thrown some picks he probably shouldn't have thrown. I don't think that one against Buffalo was anything he had. He should have done at all. The one against Steelers, that was a good play with the defense, but again, just a bad decision on his part. However, he is spreading the ball around well, not only to his backs but to his tight ends. Dwayne Allen is now a – You'll be happy. Part of the offense. He's not an integral. Oh, yeah. Integral. He had two catches, 26 yards. So he's now catching passes. 
Uh, the Patriots have a lot of weapons. They're using them well. And on offense, I think it's going to be one of those teams where if the Patriots go deep into the, the Super Bowl and beyond or whatever it is, it's going to be on the back of this offense because while the defense is okay, they're doing all right. I don't think it's kind of defense, at least in me at least, that, that inspires a whole lot of confidence where if the Patriots don't get up by a couple of scores, this D is going to protect a big lead. Well, I, I do think in the defense of the defense, they really do miss Kyle Van Noy, and hopefully he'll be back. Uh, he has been so important with the loss of Dante Hightower, so having Van Noy available for the postseason run would just be a great boon for what the, the team is capable of doing. Uh, Marquise Flowers has really emerged, led the team with 10 tackles, two and a half sacks, three quarterback hits, three tackles for loss. He, he's doing it all out there. He could possibly step up as that player that complements Kyle Van Noy at linebacker for the rest of the year and so while there wasn't an Allen Branch out there while Malcolm Butler appeared to get faced a few times uh, against the Bills with Deontay Thompson just picking up huge chunks here and there the pieces are available they just haven't been healthy enough to stick them all together and now they've added James Harrison into the mix the former Pittsburgh Steeler which is just a just a, a beautiful thing to see I'm just I don't I wasn't expecting this but this is just fantastic he should be there purely to boost the Patriots pass rush which for my mind is the only real weakness that this defense has is that they aren't able to consistently get to the quarterback and if you get James Harrison out there and he's a good part of the rotation more power to him I, I think that this Patriots team needs to have a, a stronger performance by their defensive front seven or else the the secondary is going to have to cover all day so if everything falls into place if Van Noy returns if Branch is healthy if the other team is not able to pick up so many yards on first down as they have been doing for the past few weeks with Branch and Van Noy sidelined then the Patriots are going to you know get right back to what they were doing during their early season win streak where they were they were forcing teams into second and long and third and long instead of giving up five six yards on first down. You know it's funny. You know uh, I I too did not see the Harrison signing coming. A because he really isn't the prototypical Patriot. He's a little a little little smaller for an edge defender. Uh, the Patriots the Patriots now have the oldest offensive player in the NFL and the oldest defensive player in the NFL. And Harrison and Tom Brady all they're gonna now is re-sign Adam Vinatieri and they'll have the oldest guy at each position <laughs> for across the league. However, I think it's a really good move. The linebacker core is not only really depleted, but they don't have that that veteran guy, that team leader, now that Dante Hightower is out, and Harrison can provide that. Again, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think he's a every-down linebacker or every-down defensive edge guy, but you put him, put him in on obvious passing downs, uh, him and Trey Flowers on the edge. And it's funny, I would love to see, should the Patriots end up playing the Steelers at some point in this AFC postseason, if he sacks Ben Roethlisberger twice – He'll have sacked Big Ben twice as many times as he sacked Tom Brady's his entire career, and that'd be really cool. And what an obnoxious thing if you're a Steelers fan to see James Harrison in a Patriots jersey rushing Ben Roethlisberger in a potential AFC Championship rematch. I'll be very curious to see how he fares as a Patriot. Let me ask you this, though, Rich. I'm going to go with an over-under on snaps he'll see per game on average during his tenure here. That over-under is six. I think he'll see more or less than six snaps a game. Oh, definitely. I'm going with the uh, the over. Uh, he will definitely see roughly seven or eight snaps <laughs> per game. Right. That, that's what I'm going for. Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get to see a real taste of what he's going to bring to the team next week against the New York Jets because 
he's going to have to get his feet wet at some point unless they're going to give him, you know, three weeks to learn the playbook before they even start him in the, the playoffs. But I think we'll see him play a little bit, hopefully get his time in the second half, kind of treat it like a, a preseason game for him, let him learn what he's doing, get some action with the, the unit. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you look at the defensive end depth chart. You got Trey Flowers at the top. You got Dietrich Wise, Adam Butler, and Eric Lee in the, that next tier all kind of rotating. I wouldn't be shocked if Harrison jumped right into that rotation on third down purely as a pass rusher. I don't think that they would put him out there on first down against the run. I just think that he adds so much value still as a pass rusher. Pro Football Focus had him as one of the, the top 10 most productive pass rushers from 2014, 15, and 16. So he couldn't have just lost it all of a sudden. I think that the Steelers wanted to get some more youth out there, and so they took away all of his snaps. And he wanted to have a bigger opportunity so he could do that Chris Long thing where he joins that Patriots rotation. Chip in, you know, doesn't even have to get a sack. If he can get, you know, a couple quarterback hurries per game, that would be a great contribution. I think that's what he's going to do for this team. That'd be great. You know, the Bills had started six sacks last week or this past week against the Patriots. And so the pass is just getting there. It's just maybe taking a little longer than we'd like it to. And like you mentioned, the secondary is being asked to cover a lot. And they're getting gashed for the big plays again, which I'm not overly happy about. But maybe James Harrison can be the guy that can come in there and supplement that on the obvious passing downs. It's just funny. James Harrison and David Harris, two Patriots rivals coming out to the team late to help them win a Super Bowl, would be a really cool narrative to add to that 2017 season. You know, it's funny. One thing I'm always a little, been a little worried about for this year is you look at every single not just Patriots but every single Super Bowl winning team since I don't even know when but they've all had like an it factor uh, some kind of storyline some kind of cool narrative you can talk about whether it's a no-name defense and Tom Brady and etc you know going in for Drew Bledsoe or or you know John Gruden switching from the Buccaneers to the, the Raiders to the Buccaneers and beating his old team the Super Bowl or or whatever it is it's always kind of this like fun cool narrative where each team kind of has that special factor and I couldn't quite find it in this 2017 Patriots team, but it might be the year they kind of take the old veterans from from division and, and conference rivals and, and bring them to it's kind of one last ride to Super Bowl championship. I can definitely get behind that storyline. Yeah, seriously. I mean, they, they have a whole collection of former rivals on their team right now. You can add Rex Burkhead from the Bengals. Sure. You got Gillisley. You got Philip Dorsett. Uh, yeah, Kenny Britt is now back in the house. Uh, James Harrison, as you said. I mean, they added Stephon Gilmore, David Harris. They have Lawrence Guy, formerly of the Ravens. You know, Marquise Flowers, again, from the, the Bengals. They have all of these pieces that you're talking about. Johnson Batamosi, I guess he was more of the Lions, and uh, I don't think you can really talk about the Browns <laughs> in any sort of capacity like that. But, yeah, as you said, they have a motley collection here, and this is just business as usual would be my my vision for this team what what is their it factor is that everything that they do when they win is expected and they are expected to win and they just acquired a bunch of veterans that know how to get to work and they do it and they get off the field and after having completed their task and that just leads to win after win after win and it might be boring for some teams but you know that they just do your job. That's, that's what the Patriots mantra is. And they went out and acquired a bunch of veterans that just wanted to do their job in order to win. Yeah. And they've now won 12 games again. However, despite the fact they've won 12 games, they've still not locked in that number one seed. Still one more game to go, hosting the Bryce Petty-led Jets 
at this coming Sunday at Gillette Stadium, 1 p.m., where the potential other one seed, the Pittsburgh Steelers, host the 0-15 Cleveland Browns. What a crappy way to end the season if you're a casual fan. However, a great way if you're a Patriots fan. I really can't imagine Bryce Petty coming into Gillette in limited action so far as a football player and beating this team when they know if they win this one, they lock up the one seed. Yeah, and the, the Jets, they've benched their multi-million dollar defensive lineman, Muhammad Wilkerson, just because he's been late to a lot of meetings and he's been butting heads with the team. So he's just not what they've been looking for. The Jets are looking towards 2018. I mean, Bryce Petty is playing because Luke or Josh McCown is on the injured reserve. They don't like Christian Hackenberg as a quarterback, and Bryce Petty is in his second year. But of quarterbacks over the past two years with 200-plus pass attempts, Bryce Petty ranks dead last in passer rating. So the worst quarterback in the NFL that has seen time on the field is going to be leading the Jets. Hopefully the Patriots can win. We will have more information on our uh, pregame show, which should be coming out on New Year's Eve because the game is on December 31st. And we'll have more information on patspulpit.com as we break down the game against the Bills as well as the upcoming game against the Jets. But before we sign off, Alec, do you have any final thoughts? No, again, another uh, another good win, a good holiday. Hopefully everyone out there in Patriots Nation enjoyed their time off, enjoyed their holidays, such time with friends and family. Thanks for listening. And Rich Hill, let's, uh, let's close out 2017 strong with a win against the Jets. I would love to end the year like that. Yeah, that would be a, a really disappointing finish on the last day if they were not able to, to take care of business against the Jets. And then it's on to the postseason. Patriots have a bye week. We will probably be taking a bye week on our part as well. But we're nearing our uh, our 100th podcast. Wow. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hosting that with you during the playoffs. And uh, until that comes around, Alec, you have a good one. See you, buddy. Later, man. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>